It's going to be two scriptures that I'm going to use. But first of all, Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place. We, God, thank you that your spirit comes and every heart is open. And you knock on the door of every heart. And so in this moment, the Holy Spirit rests on each one of us and anything is possible. Anything is possible in this moment. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. First scripture is from Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. And he, Jesus, said to them, this is to his disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So I want to just take some of those words in this verse and just talk about them. First of all, gospel. The word gospel means good news, and it truly is good news. It's a message, it's an announcement that calls us to rethink and reevaluate the way that we are living our lives in light of the opportunity that now through Jesus Christ comes available and comes within the reach of every single one of us. It's the opportunity to enter in and live in God's kingdom under his power, under his will, under his love, both now and for all eternity. Kingdom, well, that idea may be a little bit foreign to us, but it's not foreign to a two-year-old. Mine! We actually all understand the idea of kingdom, that sphere in which our power is active and our will is effective and what we want gets done. The good news of the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God, is the opportunity that through Jesus Christ, within your reach, is the possibility now to enter and live life now and forever within God's kingdom where God's power is active, where God's will is effective, working out that which is good for you and for all mankind because His love is the active working of His will for our good. And in unmistakable terms, Jesus Christ has revealed through His life and teaching the very nature of God, the goodness of God, the greatness of His power over all creation, over all the demonic, the greatness of His power to forgive sins and set people free, His desire and His will for your good. And on the cross, as we heard this morning, a full demonstration of His love was made openly and publicly to all that God has come to take on himself our sin, to take away from us our sin in order that we could live free and fully be able to experience his presence and his power active within our lives. Forgiveness of sins, deliverance, healing, freedom, 
the keeping power of God, victory over death, eternal life, it's all a part of the package. It's all a part of the package. The good news of the kingdom. Believe. That's an interesting word. A gentleman that I'm reading his teaching, uh, just because of the simplicity of how he says things, is a man by the name of Dallas Willard, and he says this. We don't believe something merely because we say we believe it. We don't believe something even when we believe that we believe it. I'll say that again. We don't necessarily believe something just because we believe we believe it. We believe something when we act as if what we were believing is true. We believe something when we actually act like what we are believing is true. Makes sense. So we believe the gospel when we begin to act in response to its call to a complete reorientation of thought and life because God's kingdom is right here and right now, because God's power is active and because God's will is effective and because you are called to come under that canopy of his grace and his goodness and live, learn to live life in relationship to him. One such action in response to the gospel is to be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, in response to preaching of the gospel, the people said, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. 3,000 believed. I can tell you why I know 3,000 believed. Because that day, 3,000 were baptized. See, we don't believe something merely because we say we believe it or just because we believe that we believe it, but it's when we actually act on it, what the gospel calls us to do. So as one enters into the waters of baptism, they are publicly identifying with Jesus Christ and immersing themselves together with him by faith in his death, in his resurrection, and in his life. Even without words, the act itself declares it. Now, in the New Testament, we see people being baptized. We see the Jews. We said 3,000 on the day of Pentecost were baptized. Then there was the encounter with Saul on the road to Damascus. And afterwards, when Ananias came to pray for him and Paul came to faith in Christ, he too was baptized. Then we hear of Gentiles who were being baptized. There was the uh, Ethiopian eunuch who was going through the desert. And Philip came up, ran up to his chariot, met with him, got up got up on the chariot from Isaiah 53, began to explain the gospel, and somewhere in the gospel, because it says all he did was preach Jesus, but somewhere in preaching Jesus, the idea of being baptized and immersed into Jesus Christ was a part of it. So that the eunuch himself said, here's a watering hole. It was a hole where people got their drinking water, but what's to stop me? Let's go down into this water and let me be baptized. So don't you make fun of my swimming pool out there. <laughs> we don't need some formal metal pool in a church. Baptism is not sanctified by a church building, nor are you being baptized into a church. 
You're being baptized into Christ and any water will do. Just thought I'd mention that. Then there was Cornelius. The Roman centurion and his household were baptized. There was Lydia, who was also a Gentile. She was a merchant and she was baptized in her household. And then there was the Philippian jailer and he and his household, once they came to faith, they got baptized. It seems like uh, baptism's the thing to do as an expression, a public confession, that you are turning from your old way of life, turning from any other allegiance, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, believing in the gospel. In fact, it's more prevalent in the scriptures than saying a sinner's prayer. In fact, I can't find saying a sinner's prayer. But in in the New Testament, baptism seems to be the public confession that actually indicates. And that doesn't mean I'm against praying. But baptism, being immersed into Christ, is a public declaration in obedience to the gospel. So water as a going down into water, being immersed in it, as the idea of purification was practiced within the Jewish culture. This was something common within their mindset. The name that they used for this was called the mikvah. And anyone, uh, according to their standards of purity, who had somehow become defiled, for instance, touching a corpse, before they could enter into the temple, they would have to go through this ritual cleansing so that they could be purified. So this understanding, if a person wanted to convert to Judaism, then they would have to go through circumcision, which was their right of entering into the covenant, but they would also have to go through this cleansing, washing away the old Gentile way of life and being birthed into a new way of life as one who is now living in covenant relationship with God. So this was an understanding that was familiar to them, which is why the Pharisees, when John the Baptist was preaching out in the wilderness, this association with washing away impurity, the Pharisees didn't want to identify with that, so they would have no part of it. And it's also why John the Baptist objected when Jesus came to him to be baptized because of this mental association with washing away impurity. But we're not, the baptism that we're going to witness today is Water, baptism into the water, is the means of publicly confessing. But the reality is, we're being immersed into Christ. And that which happens when a person is immersed into Christ is so much greater of a reality than just simply purifications from some ritual uncleanness. It's just amazing. Baptism in Christ declares that we have been united with Christ in his death and united together with him in his resurrection and we will live forever united together with him in his life. It nails to the cross and it declares buried with Christ our record of guilt, gone. Our sense of shame, gone. Our sin consciousness, taken away and buried, gone. Stand before God, perfect, accepted, pleasing in his sight. It declares that nailed to the cross is all 
all of our sin nature, its power to have mastery over us, it's all nailed and buried there. It declares that nailed to that cross and buried with Christ is the law as an instrument of condemnation and judgment. Not the the law itself. The law is good and wonderful. But the law is an instrument of judgment and condemnation has been nailed to that cross. We no longer live under it. Buried in God, we rise to live in a relationship with Jesus Christ, empowered by His Spirit living within us. This is amazing. Stripped away from us through the cross and burial with Christ. This body is an instrument of sin. I'm going to live... I'm going to live my life for Christ still in this body. But this body is no longer going to be under sin's mastery and an instrument for sin's pleasure. This body now belongs, immersed, rising again, belongs to the one I love, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for me. This is incredible. A whole new old way of life is buried, and a brand new life has come. I want to read one more scripture verse. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here Jesus' instruction is that having gone out into the world to proclaim the gospel to all creation. In all of the heathen nations where they find themselves among every ethnic group and within every sphere of of a culture, there they are to make disciples. Now, That word disciple might be difficult to translate into our understanding. So a better word for us today might be apprentice. An apprentice is one who agrees to a special arrangement involving a relationship with one who has skill and experience in a trade or profession. The arrangement involves both learning and practice, instruction and on-the-job training, working under a skilled tradesman, doing whatever it is that they are doing. The goal is that you and you yourself would be able to work in that same field with the same mastery as if that skilled tradesman was you. So now let me do this, because what does that have anything to do with baptism and Christ? To become a disciple of Jesus Christ, which was the prerequisite for baptism. Lots of people get baptized because they're members of church or because it's a part of some kind of a religious observance. What we're talking about is becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, one that is his apprentice and one who is now going to be immersed in him. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more. But to become a disciple of Jesus Christ involves a special arrangement where we open our lives and live them out in relationship with Him every day, every moment of the day. Learning through His teaching and example under the guidance and empowerment of the Holy Spirit 
to live your life where you live it. Hear me. To live your life where you live it in the same way that he would lead your life if he were you. Let me do that again. To lead your life where you live it, your neighborhood, where you're employed, among your friends and relatives, to lead your life where you live it in the same way that he would lead your life if he were you. To become a disciple is to become an apprentice of Jesus Christ, to learn to do life his way. So again, we're back at this word baptizing. It's a difficult word for us to get around me, and in fact, it was difficult for the translators, so they didn't even translate it. They just took the word baptizo, which was the original thing, and made an English word out of it, baptism. But it was the idea of complete immersion or a complete submerging But it was more than that. The thought that it carried was of the permanent influence this would have on the object being immersed. The permanent influence this would have on the object being immersed. So that when a cloth is immersed in dye, it's permanently changed in color. When a sword that's been heated, its metal is now thrust into cold water, it's permanently hardened. And when your life is immersed immersed in Christ, it is permanently changed. Immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be done in just a minute, but if I were going to entitle this sermon anything, I would call it the immersed life. Immersing them in the Father, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is not a formula. Which formula should? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, I'm not going to say what that is. I'm, to be immersed in the name of the Father, the name has to do, in Hebrew thought, has to do with the very character and nature of the person who bears that name. This is a disciple who is going to become an apprentice of Jesus Christ. His life is going to be immersed in three primary relationships one with God as his heavenly Father. And he's going to come to know and understand how to live in a world created by God and living it under his love and his care, living it in relationship to him. A heart and an attitude that says, you created me, therefore the way you call me to live is the way that's best for me. God, I can live in the way that's best for me, the way you created for me to live. Because you love and care for me. And the same God that feeds the birds and clothes the flowers will take care of all of my needs as I seek first to live in the realm where God is active, his will is effective, and my life is under his care. What a place to live. Immersed in relationship with the Father. Immersed in a relationship with his Son who is the heir of all things. All things were created by him and for him. He is the heir of all things, but he's the one who left heaven's glory to save you. To save you. To die on the cross for your sins. To be your substitute. So that you could share heaven as your eternal inheritance with him. He's the one who came 
to teach you the way to, to live, to reveal to you who God is, and to invite you into a life of relationship with him as his apprentice. You're going to be immersed in a relationship with the Son. And you're going to be immersed in a relationship with his Holy Spirit, the unseen presence of God living all around you, living within you, giving you power and filling you with strength, causing you to have a constant communion with your heavenly Father and with his Son, leading you into the reality of everything that Jesus has made open. You're going to be immersed. It's a life of immersion. Being completely immersed in what does it mean that I've left everything behind, nailed to the cross. Now everything is new. Now what is mine? I want you to know that the gospel invites you to something incredible. And this step of baptism is just simply an entranceway into an immersed life. A life immersed in relationship with God, your Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, His Son, your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit, the one ever-present with us and in us. If you don't know this, how many people here know, not just by thought and theology, but actual experience what it is that I'm talking about. Just quick up and quick down. There we go. Now, if for some reason you weren't able to do that, but you saw somebody close by that did, or you know someone here, I tell you what, you can live the rest of your life without knowing a relationship with God. You can say, I don't want a relationship with God. So then people ask the question, well, is everybody going to heaven? Well, if you don't want a relationship with God, you don't want to. It'll be the last place you'd be. You'd be absolutely miserable there. God would be doing you a favor to not put you there because you've lived all your life saying, I don't want God. I want to live life my way. I want to shape my world my way. I want to make my own choices. I don't want any interference. I don't want to live in the realm where your love and, and your power is active and your people are, are yielding to your will and finding out how wonderful and how fulfilling it is. I don't want that. I want my own independent choice. And I'd be miserable if you interfered. You want to go to heaven? And I want you to know there is a life after this. This is short. This is short. That is eternal. I just want you to maybe recalibrate that thought. God's inviting you now and forever into a relationship with Him. His will, because He created you, is the only way that is not only beneficial, but satisfying and fulfilling as you learn to live it as Jesus' apprentice. Amen.